Welcome to Gay Homework. This is your host, Brick Olson, and this is my friend, Rick Marcello. He's going to tell us a little bit about... Klaus Nomi! Klaus Nomi. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, where was Klaus Nomi born? Klaus Nomi was born in Bavaria, in Germany, in 1944. You know, he spent his formative years in Berlin, and in that time, he was <clears throat> working in the Opera House hmm. in Berlin. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't performing, but he was surrounded by those talents, and they would sort of indulge him after the shows, and... He would perform arias, and he had a very beautiful countertenor slash soprano operatic voice. I'm not sure if and he... And how old was he again during this? Probably in his late teens, early 20s. Yeah, cool. He was in Berlin for a while, then as he got older, he started sort of moonlighting at the gay cabaret. Oh, fun. And he would perform there, and he would do you know, sort of his, the same style. He would perform opera. And then, so what did he do after he uh, was in gay cabarets in Berlin? So he moved to New York in 72. And he was a pastry chef. A pastry chef? Mm-hmm. Wow. He lived on St. Mark's. Oh. And it was from there he developed his performance identity? He was this like sort of shy, sort of quiet, sort of strange guy. And then one day he just kind of was like, this is me now. Same. Yeah, but, but he did develop this persona, right? And Yeah. <clears throat> it's very interesting. I read several quotes that about him while I was doing some research that were sort of like, he was uncomfortable when he wasn't expressing his true self, but he still made people feel uncomfortable around him in that state. But he was also so strange when he was expressing his true self that, you know, many people continually describe him as being sort of alien-like, even before he adopted the persona. Right. He was unusual. You know, most people thought he was asexual. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the progression to becoming Nomi, I think, seems pretty natural when you contextualize it that way. Yeah. And it was sort of more of an exaggeration of those qualities. So um, his dress started to evolve drastically then. And it went into the very defined like black lip, slicked back black hair with a widow's peak. Yeah, a white foundation, black eye shadow. So it, it's sort of, I mean, it's clown. Very much inspired by that. Yeah. And a little like Baroque. Yeah. So like the big debut moment for Klaus on the scene with the first like real performance yeah. was Irving Plaza. Oh, wow which at the time was um, a vaudeville theater. So that was in 1978. The, and Irving Plaza was doing a four-day event. It was called New Wave Vaudeville. Oh. So all the New Wave kids were like letting their freak flags fly. So, you know, the kind of shit that was happening at Irving Plaza was like kind of goofy. People weren't exactly taking themselves super seriously. Mm -hmm. Like one of the very famous performances from that series which there are some clips of online. Um, the band has foam guitars in their guitar cases. Mm -hmm. And so they pull their guitars out and they're on stage playing guitar and the guitars are just like flopping everywhere. It's just like very comic, right? right. And then smoke, black lights, and Klaus Nomi emerges on the stage with his makeup and his hair and he's wearing this like plastic see-through cape with a large pointed high collar. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a very jarring image. He takes himself incredibly seriously. 
But I mean, I've always known, I've known about his imagery and that kind of stuff. And you know, it's serious and he takes it seriously because he's committed. But he is wearing, you know, like clown makeup and he does have people holding floppy guitars. Well, they were from another act. Oh, they were from another act. Yeah. I think the reason he takes himself so seriously is because he really does think of himself as this sort of otherworldly person. Yeah. We interpret it in a different way than I think he did. There are some moments, there's like a, a, an interview, a very, very brief, like I'm talking 10 second interview, and in it, I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Like he's kind of like, he's, it, I, my takeaway from what he said was like, I'm just like freaking you out. And it was really weird to hear him say that because the way that he performs is really so serious. It seems that way to me. He's seriously committed to that character. And so to be committed to that persona around the clock in such an intense way, that's sort of the challenging part of seeing the humor in it and contextualizing like why he was doing it and who he really was. Yeah. Where did that come from? Anyway, so those, those, that show um, at Irving Plaza was tremendous, right? Yeah. The crowd reacted spectacularly. There was like roaring applause. They couldn't believe he was really singing. They thought it was recorded. And after that, he was pretty fully immersed in the scene. This scene being like models, drag queens, musicians, artists. Yeah. It's like one of the things that he, so he became friends with Joey Arias. He and Joey would dance at Fiorucci's, mm. which was, you probably know. But I know, but please explain <clears throat> to our listeners what Fiorucci is. Fiorucci was an Italian designer who opened a department store in New York in the, in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was on like 59th and Park or something like Midtown East. Like well, white, white 40 year old women, you know, like walking their poodles at like With 2 p.m. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because they don't have jobs. So <laughs> the Fiorucci's was a, a sort of epicenter for art and fashion and culture mm -hmm. in a really interesting and bizarre way. Like, but you know, it sold Fiorucci's designs as well as other designers, and it was just like a spot for cool kids to hang. It was like hang. the Hatfield of yes, yeah, exactly. Or some people say it's the daytime Studio Fifty Four. Yeah. <clears throat> and basically, scene kids would dance in the display windows in their crazy ass outfits including Klaus Nomi in full look, you know, and Joey mm -hmm. Arias and people like Andy Warhol would be there and a very young Madonna was there at one point. So very like cool spot. Yeah. Kind of like a place to mingle, meet people, be seen. So Joey and Klaus meet David Bowie and Bowie is like, holy shit, you guys look fucking cool. Yeah. Here's my phone number. Call me. The moment comes in 1979, and Bowie's like, I'm about to do three songs on SNL, and I want you and Joey to be my backup singers. Right? Yeah. The moment where Joey and Klaus are thinking, like, holy fuck, our lives are going to change. Our careers are going to skyrocket. <clears throat> and David Bowie gives each of them a thousand bucks and is like, go dress yourselves. And they each get a Mugler, like, crazy outfit like one is black one is red it's just like leather and they do this amazing performance you know there's a song where they're walking a giant pink poodle across the stage have you seen this performance oh yeah yeah and there's the iconic giant plastic tux that they have to carry bowie out on mm -hmm. and there's the muppet the puppets um 
So this is huge. And also, if you're watching the video, you can... I mean, Nomi is overpowering Bowie's voice a lot during that performance. Yeah. In an unprprofessional way, almost. <laughs> it's a little bit like, you diva. 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 But also, his voice is amazing. So that's iconic and amazing and incredible, right? Yeah. And, and out of that, Nomi got a lot of recognition. And I'm pretty sure there's like a direct line between that performance and him getting signed to RCA France. Mm. And Joey is sort of out of the picture now? Yeah, I mean, Joey wasn't really a part of his band. Got it. But they were like scene sisters. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And also they're each too big of stars to be together on the same stage for right. too long. Yeah. Right, right. I don't think Joey was interested in being in Nomi's band. Yeah, you know? totally. There's some controversy about the songwriting mm. because the label basically didn't credit the songwriters. I don't know all the facts here and I've received conflicting information. Mm. So I don't, like the documentary is very much like Klaus fucked over the songwriters in the band. Whether or not that was super intentional or was major label manipulation is unclear. So there was dissent there. Like, the band was peeved, whatever. He wants to write another album. Yeah. He wants to put another album out. That was right around the time when AIDS was beginning to really, like, ravage the community. Yeah. Klaus contracted it, probably in 82, maybe earlier, you know, who knows. Yeah. He got pretty ill, continued performing. Yeah. He started moving away from both his sound and his look mm. from the sort of new wave era. Yeah. And he was sort of moving back towards his operatic roots and also adopted a more Baroque style in his fashion. So another like very iconic look of Klaus's is the, I don't even know how to describe this, the like neck, like frilly white a neck. Jacobian piece. ruff. Yes, yes. Jacobian ruff. A Jacobian ruff. Right, so he has that outfit with the Jacobian ruff. Mm -hmm. and Which Sasha Velour just wore. Yeah. At the RuPaul's Drag Race finale. That's right. At the runway. Thanks, Klaus, for the inspiration, honey. You know that Sasha does her gay homework. Oh, so. you know Sasha does her gay homework. So at the time, um, people didn't know anything about the disease yet. Mm -hmm. And people were afraid. And so he became very isolated. Yeah. People weren't approaching him. People were, you know, he lost a lot of relationships. And I think also he had a lot of tense relationships. Like, he was a little bit of a diva, I think. And uh, a lot of, you know, and he started experiencing success and kind of left some people behind. So when he fell, there weren't that many there. To catch him. Yeah, and wow. and add to that the fear of well, at that time there was you know so little treatment because no one had fucking done anything. No treatment. So and no understanding. You're facing death. You're gonna die, yeah. and everyone around you is not gonna risk that to be around you. Yeah, and thank God that we now have you know there there's been so much advocacy for treatment and for that kind of stuff, so that now people aren't facing death and. You know, you can live a happy, healthy, prosperous life. It is Positive unbelievable, life. really. Yeah. And incredibly important to remember people like Klaus who were sort of that first wave. And Klaus was really the first celebrity to die of HIV, of HIV AIDS. Really? Yeah. I mean, maybe not the first, but he is widely or? recognized as one of the first. One of the early. One of the early, like, celebrities. Yeah. 
And people didn't even really consi- think of him as a gay person. Interesting. They thought of him as, he was queer, he was asexual, that's how people interpreted who he was. He was just that ahead of his time. Yeah, exactly. Because nowadays, I mean, so so many people are not straight up just describing themselves as gay if it's different, you know? Right. At that time, it was like, oh, it's gay. It's just this blanket term, which is yes. kind of funny that we call this gay homework because that's what we're doing. It's a blanket term. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. It's a little which ironic. Which is kind of why, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's kind of why I love it is because, you know, it's, I feel like we're uh, breaking down sort of preconceived notions, but we're also using some of the things that propped it up in order to get in. So, yeah. Absolutely. In my personal experience, mm-hmm. queerness has enabled me to break down the gender barriers that society has placed on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm inspired by people like Klaus who were able to transcend that yeah. in their own sort of queer way. Totally. Before that was simple and easy. Not that it is now, but it has been for me relatively if you compare it to other people's experiences in the past. I mean, we won't get put in prison for wearing something that is deemed um, illegal. Okay, back to Klaus. So there's some some tension at the end of his life. And um, he... His last performance was in Munich Mm -hmm. in 82 with a full orchestra in the outfit we just described. Oh, the Jacobian Rub. The Jacobian Rub. And he... um, It's a very haunting performance, and it's on YouTube. Um, The song is the aria of the Cold Genius which is from Henry Purcell's opera, King Arthur. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very poignant. Um, these are some of the lyrics. What power art thou who from below hast made me rise unwillingly and slow from beds of everlasting snow? Seest thou not how stiff and wondrous old, far unfit to bear the bitter cold? I can scarcely move or draw my breath. Let me, let me freeze again to death. So, like, so that's his final performance. Yeah. He knows he's he going prob- to die. He thinks he's probably going to die. He knows he's going to die. He's literally hiding Carposi's sarcoma with his... White makeup that he's always worn. His white makeup and his Jacobian... Jacobian rough. Yeah, like, he's, like, dying yeah. on stage while he's performing this. And it's heartbreaking and so haunting Mm. you know and then he comes back to New York and he dies alone Um, and I used to think that he maybe was a little more of a diva than he really is I think a lot of it was circumstantial experiencing success the label the disease um, but I did and learn... also the alienating identity that he had of formed. Of course. Yeah, of course. How do you get close to someone like that? Mm-hmm. How do you decide what's a facade and what's real? Right. Um, and I think... But, but, but I did learn that he left basically his estate to Joey Arias. Oh, that's great. So if I understood correctly what I read, that would mean that Joey would still receive royalties for... Klaus's songs and things like that so Mm -hmm. that's like a major investment of wealth and and value in someone and really a beautiful thing to do yeah Um, you know I think the reason I love Klaus so much is because he is so bizarre because the the line between reality and fantasy with him is so blurry that the question I often find myself asking myself with him is 
is this a facade? What is his universe? What does he see and feel about himself in this expression? And I, he really does sort of feel like an angel or an alien or something in a kind of beautiful way. So I like thinking about him that way. That's amazing. And thank you so much for such a great interview. Thank you, Brick. This has been really fun. Yeah, and um, I look forward to having you again. So yeah, uh, be sure to check out our Instagram page. It's at Gay Homework. We also have a Twitter account, at Gay Homework. And we have a Facebook as well. Um, so you can look at that for some of the images of Klaus Nomi that we'll put up. Maybe we'll be able to get some videos up there too. That'd be fun. Um, and if you have any questions or any corrections that you want to send to us, we'll do a corrections corner things at some point. Yes, please, because um, I know this shit is messy. Yeah, I know. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm messy in general, and there's always, <laughs> there's always things that can be debated, and there's always things that we can um, iron out, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, if you'd like to contact us in any way at all, uh, email doyourgayhomework at gmail.com. And, uh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.